Hey guys, it's Kayla here, coming live from the inside of my bedroom closet, bringing you another episode of Failing Miserably, Ordinary People, Fucking Up Extraordinarily. Welcome back, everybody. Um, today is June 1st. Uh, with that being said, it is a Monday, and I am now henceforth deciding to move all episode drops to Monday evenings uh, because that is just much more of a realistic expectation for me to have in terms of getting content recorded and edited and out on time for listeners. So yeah, that's one exciting update. I don't I don't think that's necessarily all that exciting. Um, it's just more of uh, it's easier for me to get these out on Monday nights because my shit is just a thousand percent not together on the weekends, if we're being truthful. <laughs> anyway, um, with that being said, yes, today is Monday, June 1st, and that means that today is the first day of a very important month, uh, Pride Month. And I feel like it's important to mention that because a Pride Month is a big part of kind of the topic point of discussion for this episode Um, and it's also just it's important to me on a personal level and it's important to me because a lot of people that I know and love and respect um, are gay or are part of the LGBTQ plus community and um, it's just a time of the year that is super near and dear to my heart and it should be near and dear to your heart if you have basic human decency at this point, right? I mean, come on. We're living in 2020. Anyway, um, this episode is recorded, pre-recorded with me and my friend Connor. And I have known Connor for several years now. We're really, really close friends. Connor is somebody that I love and respect dearly. And I was just so excited to be able to sit down and record an episode with him. I know I say that with everybody that I have on the show, but I am genuinely excited to have everybody on the show that comes on the show or else I wouldn't invite them to be on here, right? If I'm not going to be stoked about it, I guess. Um, But this week's episode just, I guess, as a bit of a content warning does uh, cover details of, you know, kind of coming out and... um, growing up gay in a small town and just kind of, you know, the hardships that face that. And then we do also have several moments of discussion where we talk about um, current events in the U.S., like the coronavirus, uh, like the black, like what is going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and just rioting and the current state of all of that. So if that's not something that you're prepared to listen to, um, then I guess maybe stop listening right now. Um, If you're prepared to not listen to it for like emotional reasons or you've just had enough of that kind of content uh, for the week, I understand. But at the same time, if you're just mildly, you know, fatigued by, I don't know, uh, being a person who is not of color um, and having to tune in and continue to listen to these kinds of conversations, then I would maybe urge you to push through that and listen. Uh, It's not that I think that Connor and I are experts on this type of thing, but I just think that people 
that are not minorities right now maybe do need to stop and take the time to engage in these issues on you know somewhat of a deeper level if you haven't already been doing that so i would encourage you to continue to listen or if you don't want to listen to me and connor talk about it then you should you know go online and do your own due diligence right now and just you know think about ways that you can get involved and support you know, fighting for equity of people of color and minorities and also people that are, you know, members of the LGBTQ plus community. Anyway, I will get off my soapbox because I'm going to get right back on my soapbox when we start the actual episode up. But um, yeah, that was just a little precursor into what to expect from today. And I am, as always, super glad that you're here and you're listening. Thanks for tuning in. And I'm going to shut the fuck up and let you hear from Connor now. All right. Hi, um, my name is Connor Smith. I uh, grew up in Porterville uh, and I lived there for 18-ish years. And then I went off to college and studied some stuff at Fresno State. And then um, I ended up living abroad for a bit, came back, and family decided that it was time for me to get out of Porterville. And I moved up to uh, Seattle. And I've been here for about five years. Uh, I currently work for a gigantic evil tech company. Um, And uh, I guess um, I'm pretty dang happy up here. And having uh, time to be up here really made me realize how much uh, like self-reflection you can do when you're away from people you grew up around. Um, Yeah. Okay. So in that sense, what would you say the biggest differences are between where you grew up and where you live now? So it was kind of interesting when I first moved up here. Uh, The first thing I noticed was how white everyone is. I mean, like even the Caucasian people were very pale, but then there weren't a lot of people of color and I wasn't used to that from where I grew up. Um, And then the other thing was how many young people there are. Uh, it was interesting to see a lot of people my age out and about. Some older people, but majority were like people my age, no families, uh, a lot of single people. And then uh, a lot of people, um, not depending on like cars and stuff, you just see a lot more people. And culturally, it's just so much more white up here. And when I say white, I mean like there's not as many um individual like immigrant type culture here like uh a lot of like for example the midwestern type accent is common up here where you hear people say big instead of bag like normal people or or say like pop instead of a soda so that was really weird but in general this uh, living up in seattle i noticed how open people are to things and people being different um I know where I grew up in Porterville, if someone was wearing a niqab or a hijab, uh, they would instantly start staring and acting weird around them. But up here, it's really normal to see uh, people from different walks of life, um, even if it feels like it's not as diverse as at least in the terms of uh, where I grew up. Uh, so I met you at a trashy house party in the foothills outside of Porterville. 
And I was already, well, of course I was underage drinking. We all were. And, uh, I was introduced to you by a friend who was already really, really drunk. I don't even think he remembers. (laughs) And he, I was like, Oh wow. She looks really cool. She has all these like really cool tattoos and she seems really friendly. And then he introduced you to me as Minerva and like, Oh, that's really weird. Your name is Minerva. And like, just talking about like, Oh, that's such a unique name. Cause I didn't really know a lot of people and that I have to be honest. That was one of my first house parties uh, where people <laughs> weren't completely like gone the whole, whole way. And I was like, Oh, she totally thinks I'm being really weird right now. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? I don't know what I did wrong. And then I love that we end up like seeing each other more. Uh, just, I guess like I was friends with someone in the group and then you were friends with most of the group. So like, I just kept seeing you more and more. And then when I finally got to get to know you more, he was like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck was wrong with you. You kept calling me Minerva. It was so funny. And um, for the record, your name's not Minerva. No, my name's not Minerva. And I feel like that was one of those times where neither one of us were in on the joke because the people that (laughs) were perpetuating that entire lie, obviously, uh, never told either one of us. Mm -hmm. It was so funny, and I was I was wondering why laughing so much. I'm like, oh, okay, he's obviously doing something. But that was also a night when I think someone vomited all over the table or something. Oh, that was the house party to end all house parties. Was it really? Yeah, that was well, not not the end of them, but that was the night where everything that you could imagine going wrong went wrong i think uh some people at the party purchased an adult substance and the person that they bought the adult substance from took it back at the end of the night so people lost a bunch of money on their adult purchases uh that was the night that somebody threw up all over the floor i'm pretty sure that that's the night that people were hooking up in the downstairs bedroom and came out of the room screaming Okay. It was I, just, I think, yeah. that was the party where everybody got super toasted. Our friend was doing shots of Malibu out of the fat separator that night. <laughs> <laughs> then she vomited into the fat separator afterwards, right? Almost into the sink. Yeah. She just oh, immediately, yeah. cause it would have been what, like an entire, I think it was close to a quart. No, maybe not oh, that much. Gosh. It was a lot of just like straight Malibu. Well, and that's classic came, young her. Yeah, it came right back up. I kept making people mix drinks where I would just dump vodka on vodka into their cup and be like, here you go. Have fun. Was that the same night that uh, um, threw the butter at the refrigerator? I think so. Oh, my God. That I night think that was, was also the night. It this has was also the night time. where our friend went to sleep in a bed upstairs because she had enough after she puked into the sink. <laughs> and she took uh, she took she went to go pass out in a bed. And my friend and I thought it would be funny to take the loaf of bread from the kitchen and shove the loaf of bread into her pants. <laughs> oh, my God. And then we got saran wrap and saran wrapped her to the bed. I don't know why. We were we were drinking. We thought it was funny. <sighs> I completely yeah, so, <laughs> forgot about this. And I think we toasted some of the bread first. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. We've really grown up. Like, my God. 
Now when we get together, I feel like, gosh, we went to Portland, our last hurrah before COVID-19. Um, and we like went to sleep by 11 o'clock every night. We were so old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we had like a family dinner together. Uh-huh. Uh, we uh, partook in some adult beverages. Yes, and adult then, beverages. Uh, beverages. And then we like watched TV for a little bit and ended up going to sleep. It was like we're definitely almost 30 if that's like the what you do when you hang out with right. friends you go and we did lots of things where we like went and saw stuff during the day and went to some really good mm-hmm. breweries like it was like you know we've really come up in this world from shoving bread in people's pants making home movies and yeah. lying about each other's names <laughs> yeah that's for sure and like i i am glad for the memories and they're fun to laugh about but i'm I'm glad that we don't operate like that anymore. Yeah, I can't function on that level anymore. No, nope, never. I can't go to a rager until two or three in the morning. Go to on a Tuesday. Then, on a Tuesday, <laughs> go home, go to sleep, get up for work at six thirty the next morning, and work a ten-hour day, and then come home and do it all uh, over again. Sometimes. My <laughs> God, you know, some sometimes I do miss those memories of just being carefree during the summer, and then I think, God, so many times. I woke up just feeling absolutely terrible and had to deal with screaming kids. Uh huh. Yep. It was, it was awful. His name. Yeah, we will. Bless his soul. Um, I think that was also the same night that he he ended up in the back of the truck, right? I, I actually don't know. I don't know if I was there for that. I knew I went home earlier. Yeah, I had to work the next day because this was on a Tuesday night or something. It wasn't <laughs> oh on a weekend. God. So I wouldn't consider any of our like younger years to really necessarily be failures in any sense because we we survived all those house parties and we didn't burn the place to the ground and we have some really great memories because of it. But mm-hmm. you were here for a specific reason to talk about what you consider to be, I guess, your own failure and just kind of like growth in life? I haven't really realized as a failure until I was about 24 years old. So like three years ago. And I've been working through it since. And it, I think it's an experience that a lot of queer people, especially in a place that's a little bit more backwards, like the Central Valley goes through. And uh, thinking about just growing up in the Central Valley in high school and wondering what happened to people. And I realized that I'm a completely different person than I was then. And like, that was a while ago. But then I realized that I had no idea who I was when I was in high school or even in college or until I moved up here. Thinking about like, I failed to acknowledge who I was and because of that I'm years behind all my counterparts who are able to live authentically um, as themselves and really show their friends and everyone else that they um, are who they are whereas I felt like looking back um, I lived two different lives and it was a defense mechanism, but I also developed some really unhealthy coping mechanisms. And um, I guess this is a realization that I worked through it without even realizing it uh, by being forced to. (laughs) Um, So uh, yeah, it was just interesting. Um, So I I don't, I don't know how far back or uh, you want me to go, but 
uh, essentially for me, it was like, I had all these signs that I was ignoring this huge junior in high school that I felt like I had no real connections with friends. And, um, I got really close to a couple people, but then I always ended up getting in fights with them and losing all the social connections I had and feeling unbearably alone. And, um, I always noticed it was like this one particular boy being like weirdly jealous about it and not realizing it was and just being really hurt when like I stopped being friends with both of them over something stupid, like, um, not telling me there's a math test tomorrow or something like that, you know? And, um, it ended up sparking some really bad depression, um, that I had to work through and them that needed a lot of emotional support. And my mom is one of those people who never really had, she's not like a gushy mom. It's like, I'm so proud of you and stuff like that. She's always been the ones like, okay, good job. You did it. I expected you to do it. So continue, you know? And so um, I developed this habit where I would have time to deal with the fact that I don't even know what hobbies I like. I don't know what friends I actually feel a connection with. I don't have to pay attention to these uh, longing of wanting to be, I don't want to say intimate, but like close to someone who I might consider like a partner, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, I was young, so I didn't know any of them. big fight with my mom because she was telling me, I'm not going to go to college. And I really fought and I was like, I'm going to prove her wrong. I can win a scholarship to get myself out of this hellhole, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was hard. Okay. So um, I ended up working really, really hard with a teacher who like, honestly, she knew everything that was going on before I knew it was. I, I remember she slipped me a note one day in uh, English class and she put in the note saying, I know you're hiding and you're ready to come out and be your authentic self. You can, and you'll be okay. Just know I'm here. And I still remember that. And this has had been like 10 years now. And um, she worked with me to try to win this scholar, this full ride scholarship to Fresno state. <clears throat> and I worked through, I worked really, really hard. And I talked with my mom a little bit and letting her know, like, hey, he's worked really hard on this. He's an alternate. He almost got it. Give him a, give him a chance to get out, you know? And so I was lucky enough to convince my family to let me go straight away to college. And I think it was a blessing because it gave me a little bit of breathing room. Like as an adult, where you are at your point in life now, how do you feel like, I guess, kind of being in that place growing up is maybe a detriment to just kind of the life you're living right now? Do you feel like it is? Yeah. Or do you feel like... Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like I had to start where, I guess for lack of better terms, straight people started at age 16 when I was started up in Seattle at age 22, mm-hmm. I had to learn what it was like to have a healthy relationship or just to try to date or even just try to find friends where you actually have a connection you can be your authentic self, not hide behind, Oh, I'm too busy for this. Oh, uh, I don't really know what you're talking about. So I don't want to go or just declining invites all the time. 
And I feel like it put me, like I probably have the self-awareness, at least in some aspects of like three years to four years younger than I actually am. And a lot of this had to do with, uh, I have a partner now who really helped me work through all this. And it was really hard for him because he grew up um, in a very conservative immigrant family where they still don't accept him, but that never stopped him from being who he was. Mm -hmm. Even all his friends knew that he was gay and that he knew what artists and what things he liked to do and had friends who valued him for who he was. Um, And I didn't. And I feel like having a partner like that, at least at the beginning, is really, really hard because you don't know how to treat another person well. And by that, I mean, like, holding someone's hand in public or kissing them and not looking behind your shoulder, you Mm -hmm. know? And I feel like this is shared amongst other queer people growing up in conservative areas. They have all this, I don't want to say trauma, but they have an overly self-aware idea of where they stand around the people or like people around them. And so it really puts a damper on what they can feel, how they feel. Essentially they just have walls up because they're afraid of getting hurt. Um, And that was something that I feel like up until say last year, I didn't really feel comfortable knowing what I like. Like, I mean like hobbies, what makes me genuinely happy, the people I want to be around. And it's because I had all these years of practicing being in a double life um, and not being authentic with other people just because I was scared of not being able to be who I am. And I don't know if this is a failure on my part to just uh, deal with social pressures or just a failure on our society and my hometown, uh, for lack of better terms, family to be okay with people who are different than you. Right. I would definitely not place blame on yourself mm-hmm. for assuming, I guess, for lack of better words, an identity that protected you because A, you were a child and we learn really quickly as kids to kind of, I think, fall in line when it comes to not getting bullied or trying to avoid, you know, being in uncomfortable or difficult social situations, Right. Like, yeah. I, I feel like as kids, that survival instinct kicks in pretty quickly for most. Um, and I would say that that's more of a reflection of just kind of a big failure of our own society to, I guess, I don't even want to say accept people for who they are because it shouldn't really be something that needs to be accepted. Right. You look at people loving who they love or doing what they want, expressing their own autonomy as long as it's not hurting anybody. Like it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be news, right? Like, right. I, yeah. And, you know, I think it's interesting you brought up the, the survival instinct because I remember specifically in elementary school, I was starting to get bullied on and I was paying attention to what they were bullying me about. And I looked at how they picked on other kids. And I remember thinking in my head, don't act like them, act like the other people so that you're not a target. And then so like all these defense mechanisms started coming up. And then as you get older, you know, kids get more vicious. At least they were when we were growing up um, about being gay. And I learned quite 
quickly uh, to associate that identity with being tormented. And a lot of the people that I was in high school with who were openly gay uh, got beat the fuck out of them and for no reason. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to end up like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. (laughs) Right. Like, yeah. I think we continue to just see the repercussions of like, I don't want to say for all gay men, femininity is a big thing because it's not. I mean, there's no right way or wrong way to be gay or identify as gay or have, Uh there's no characteristics, I guess, that really like make up a gay person other than, you know, obviously being gay in itself, like liking, you know, having sexual preferences, I guess, is is the the only thing that I can think of that's really like definitive with that. (laughs) Um, but I mean, there is this big thing that we're taught, I think from a young age about femininity and how it's not something to really be valued. And it's something that's like frowned upon if you have it right. Like, right. I feel like it's, it's a double-edged sword for everyone. Like girls are expected to be feminine, but then when we express fragility, then we are treated like we're lesser than, um, yeah. And then when and, men have it, they get the shit beat out of them for it. Mm-hmm. So and cool. like, oh, sorry, you're Go definitely ahead. no. It's totally uh, sorry, and you're totally right. It is a double-edged sword, and I'm glad that things are changing a little bit because look at all the statistics about men who can't express themselves and mm-hmm. like the suicide rates of these people who have to live in this double standard. Like, you can't show emotion, you can't be intimate with your friends, like and be close with them because it's gay and it's changing for the younger generation. But I feel like especially our generation and older, they've had to go through all this emotional baggage to set the like ground for people to be okay with who they are and to have healthy relationships. Right. Because ultimately when we try and shove anything like that down and not have it be something that's considered normal, then really nobody wins. I mean, yeah, it makes it hard for straight couples, I guess, for lack of better words, to have healthy relationships because then you have things like gender roles that really come into play and then lead to issues like gendered violence. I mean, I think even within the gay community, being overly feminine is something that sometimes shit on, but you yeah, can for sure. more than I can. Yeah. I mean, let, let's be real about the gay community in general, especially gay men. They're problematic as fuck. Um, <clears throat> there's this whole thing of like uh, no fats, femmes, or Asians, and it's just like what the absolute fuck? Like you're saying that you're not willing to date someone who's chubby or fat um, or feminine, but you define as feminine because you have these features where you're not afraid to show the fact that the human experience isn't just masculine or feminine; it's right. a spectrum. Right. And then you, the whole racism of Asian, which I don't understand at all, um, but it's problematic as fuck. And but I do think there is being progress, at least in the U.S., with this type of stuff. And like even in our hometown, like mm-hmm. I think I was there, and you were there too, when uh, they wanted to remove the mayor for acknowledging Pride Month, mm-hmm. and the people who got arrested uh, trying to just make a point like she's just acknowledging it. She's not even endorsing it Mm -hmm. and removing her from power. And just, it's just insane to me the amount of progress that 
within 10 years in a hometown that we can have. Right. Um, well, it's like yeah. we had, what, five people at the front of that town hall meeting that were up there saying that people that are gay basically live this lifestyle that is a slippery slope of bestiality and child molestation is what people stood up there and said. But there were 35 to 40 other people in that room that day that got up and went up there and told them how fucking wrong they were. Yeah. And in a place like where we come from, I mean, that's a big deal. Unfortunately, a lot of times with our hometown, the people in power are the people that tend to think kind of shitty. But I I think even, you know, now that neither one of us live there, we can kind of observe and and see, you know, that there has been some progress. I mean, we Mm -hmm. have young Latino representation in the city council now, um, Mm -hmm. which is a big thing compared to five years ago. So I mean, the progress is definitely measurable. Sometimes it's disheartening because it seems like it takes so long for change to really pull through. And I think it's hard to not look back and wish that we could have grown up in an environment where things are a little bit more the way they are now. But yeah, I mean, somebody has to pave the way for others. (laughs) It's true. And And every generation does that. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can't make the world a better place unless you put the work into it. And sometimes that means that you have, like you said, pay. So I, I guess looping back to like what college, like I didn't end up winning that scholarship and I felt like a failure. And then I uh, tried to do too many courses in college, didn't get the best grades um, and tried to prove to my mom that I could get out in three years. That way I wasn't swimming in debt. And I ended up uh, finding out about a scholarship for me to get out of uh, the country and uh, learn another language. And I was like, I'm going to get this regardless of uh, what and everyone's telling me, I'm going to get it. And so I found out who had previously won it, which it was really interesting because it was another portabilian who had won it the year before. So I asked her all the stuff that... Uh, she did to get the eye on her um, and I ended up winning it and uh, I lived abroad for a year and in that country I had no prior relationships nothing no one no standard of who I should be and that was when I really started exploring except uh, being queer even though I was in a really really uh, conservative a police state country. Um, and it was just interesting that even though I was in an environment like that, where people are incredibly homophobic and like no one talks about it, I was able to explore that aspect of myself just because it was a fresh slate for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that was so big for me. And that's when I finally started taking time to try to figure out what do I like to do? You know, like, uh, like, a big part of me didn't pay attention to my own emotional intelligence, my own feelings or anything like that. Like what makes me happy when I hang out with people? What conversations do I like to have? Do I enjoy intense conversations? Do I like joking around, shooting the shit, acting stupid the whole time or what? And so there I had a taste of what I was like a taste of who I actually was and who I could be if I gave myself a chance. And coming back, 
I think that changed of me for life because I stopped apologizing and trying to hide who I was. Mm-hmm. And um, I ended up senior year started just being who I wanted to be. And my roommates who I had known already for three years at that point in time said, started treating me different just because they're like, dude, you act so different from the time that you came through. Like I ended up getting in fights with one of them. And then the other one started being friends with me, uh, like over the other, uh, roommate that I got a fight with, uh, just because, um, but I just changed who I was and my outlook and stuff. And because I got a taste of having a fresh slate, living completely on my own, not having to uh, act as the son that my family thought I was and uh, just put effort into relationships that I didn't want to put uh, effort into anymore. um, I decided I wanted to go back. And so my senior year in college, I applied for a fellowship for me to go back there for five years, four years. And, um, I waited, I was waiting for results. And that was also in 2015 when the, the big drought happened mm-hmm. in Porterville and my family, my family's well went dry. So my mom was like, you can't live here. And my mom was already fucking tired of me at that point. And she, <laughs> the summer before it was terrible. We got in a lot of fights and she just was not, she wanted me to go back to being the person who I was and I couldn't. Um, she tried making me have like a curfew at like 10 PM, which if I lived in a different country completely on my own and why would I have a curfew at 10 PM other than like trying to be respectful and like not wake them up for work and stuff like that, which I never did. Um, but she was just trying to be really, really controlling and, she was used to having a son who wouldn't try to push boundaries or anything like that. And I just didn't want to do that anymore. So um, my parents didn't have any water for over a year at that point in time. They didn't let me know. And I was in a city that was 80 miles away. It's not like I was really far away. Right. And they told me, uh, you're not going to stay here. You're going to go up to Seattle. Um, you have family there. You're going to stay with them, at least for the summer. And so I moved to Seattle in 2015, thinking that it would just be for the, um, the, the summer. And as time went by, I wasn't getting any notifications or anything about the fellowship I applied to. And then I found out that they didn't want me. And then it, I felt like, fuck, this was my one chance to really get out there, define who I am, figure things out, and then try to do something new with myself away from all these obligations that I created for myself. And at that point in time, I felt like the biggest failure just because I worked so hard to try to figure out who I was, accept who I am, um, and not have to lie and live in two lives. And then all of a sudden I get this notification that says, you're not coming back. Um, It really hurt. Uh, I mourned for longer than I thought I did. Um, And then I realized that I can't go back to the Central Valley. There's nothing for me there. So I applied for jobs and I tried to find other places, uh, other uh, things to do to try to make my life up here in Seattle. And I really lucked out um, with finding someone who loves me for who I am. And Mm -hmm. 
uh, I'm still with him. Um, we met that summer, uh, a couple of months after I moved there and he really helped me get out of some bad situations. And, um, I guess when you really think about it, I felt like such a big failure because I ignored who I was and lived as like two identities and not acknowledging that other part of me by pushing so far with these goals and unrealistic standards that I made for myself. In reality, I wasn't the failure I thought I was. Mm -hmm. I was failed by a community and society that really wanted me to be someone who I wasn't and Mm -hmm. punish those who didn't abide by those expectations. And I feel like this experience is shared so much with other queer people who grew up in conservative uh, communities and places where uh, religious doctrine is weaponized. Mm -hmm. And it took me a long time to realize that these faults I saw in myself weren't my own cross to bear. It's shared and it's, one that is getting better for younger generations. Mm -hmm. I think community and having a sense of just like belonging in general for so many people is just really like the way out of, not to be overly dramatic, but I mean like the way out of darkness and, and finding your people and finding people that love you and let you be your authentic self is really probably the best way to survive any kind of, major life change or catastrophe or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody at a basic level deserves to be loved for exactly like who they are. And if you're religious, loved for exactly who you were created to be. Yeah. And I just, I feel like your experience too just speaks kind of like volumes for who you are and like who you grew to become in the sense that like, you really probably didn't have much of a childhood, right? I mean, I'm like trying to think of how to to word this. I, I guess in a sense, it kind of seems like you were forced to grow up a lot quicker and to become adaptive. And then instead of, you know, being able to live authentically, you pick kind of almost the next best thing, which is just being super goal-driven and getting the fuck out which has like forced you to achieve so much. And I think it's probably from the outside, really easy for people to look at you as like such a high achiever. And as somebody that knows you well, I mean, that's definitely like the first thing that I saw about you is just like, holy shit, like this person went into college and like busted ass is like super professional, like in their career from such a young age and has accomplished, has accomplished so much in such a short amount of time. But I guess like what you don't get from that is everything that it kind of like took for you to get there. And then the sacrifices that, you know, were kind of made into your childhood and your youth, like as a result of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really fair to say. And I mean, I'm always thankful that it wasn't worse off than I thought it would like, it wasn't worse off than it could be. You know, I, at the end of the day, I still had a roof over my head and other stuff like that. But you're right. Like we, 
when we see other people, unless they open and break down those walls to us, we can, we don't know about what caused them to be this way. And sometimes Mm -hmm. what we see may not always be the, uh, whole picture. Like the best way I can think about it is like, when you see like, it's going to be so gay, it's okay. Um, when you see like embroidery or something like that, you see this beautiful front and then you look at all the back where all those threads had to poke through and like cross each other and Mm -hmm. like make all these other things that for that beauty to come out, they had to essentially ruin the other side. Right. I also think there's this interesting dichotomy too of like straight people being able to kind of like live in mediocrity and that's a bar for people in the gay community because you guys have been put under so much pressure basically from the time you were born is set so much higher in terms of like accomplishments and skills. (laughs) Like people don't want to just see like mediocre gay people, which is unfair. I mean, in a sense, like people should be able to equally like live in mediocrity. Right. (laughs) But I mean, like, I'm going to be a little problematic, but it's funny. Like whenever you see like a, a straight guy who talks about his skin routines, like, good job. You use soap on your face. You put lotion on your face. Good job, honey. Like right. the bar is set so low sometimes. And like, like I, we were watching um, uh, these two drag queens talk about uh, reality TV shows. And one of them was like, you guys literally just had to not fuck each other. And you win a hundred thousand dollars. I had to make all these drag dresses and in this fashion competition to win a hundred thousand dollars. Straight people have it so fucking easy. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I know the exact show that they're talking about. Too hot to handle or whatever. Oh Oh my God. You just couldn't bang for like six weeks. (laughs) I mean, but really the shitty part of that is like, I mean, we could take it to another level and really get deep and talk about things like the fear that was instilled in gay people during the global pandemic of AIDS when it initially came out. And then you have people that are straight that just walk around without any fears or anxieties, like all loosey-goosey, like, well, you know, like, it's it's whatever. Like, my chances of getting sick are so low. Um, and it's funny because, and again, not funny, haha, funny, but you know, the biggest threat to blood centers for whatever reason is gay men that have had intercourse when Uh, your real concern should just be fucking like fraternity boys in college (laughs) that are donating blood or plasma, trying to get money that go out, sticking their dick in somebody five days a week and probably aren't using protection because I mean, if you've lived in the Valley, then you know that that's what's going on. And and I don't want to put a damper on anyone's like right to like fuck because you're young and you do you boo, but like the straights need to get on board with safe sex a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah, they, they really do. And like, I just think it's amazing that the central Valley is so like, hell bent on using abstinence as like the main thing and like waiting for marriage. And like, if I remember correctly, the central Valley is a hot spot for STIs and other. Uh, syphilis like has had a major resurgence in the central Valley in the last couple of years. Yeah. I just don't get it. And you're right. Like the blood center thing, like it was a big deal that they lowered the wait period for gay men 
um, and bisexual men uh, mm-hmm. for only three months. And then I shared that with my coworkers and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, this is some great news. This is some progress. And they were like, what? You guys have to wait a year and abstain yeah. from anything to get blood? I'm like, yeah, girl, where have you been? And it's just, it, it amazes me that, <clears throat> and I guess this is true for other things too, but that people are, people don't have to face these problems unless their reality is addressed with it, mm-hmm. you know? And like, yeah. I mean, that's just kind of a big issue, I think, with our culture in general. I mean, look at what has gone on for years with police brutality situations. Oh I mean, my God. we're in a situation now where George Floyd, I mean, just very recently was murdered by yeah. white cops in America. Yeah. And, and there's a record of it and mm-hmm. police brutality and other people who have been murdered and then officials who won't call them out for it or anything right. like that. Like it's, it, I hate saying this, but for people who haven't been paying attention, pandemic has really shown how little people pay attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like any person of color, any black person knows that this is something that they, it's the like constant reality. Mm-hmm. And then to have white people finally getting on board, noticing this, it, like, I'm glad it's coming around, but like there's these systematic like prejudice that's so well established, but people want to say that blue lives matter, you know, you know, and it's frustrating to me too. I read a really great post. Um, if you don't follow Rachel Cargill on Instagram, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name, right. Um, I believe it's Rachel Cargill on Instagram. She is a black activist that has, I think kind of made it her life's mission to help better educate people about racial injustice and issues. And she had made a post, I think it was either yesterday or today, about how she's just so sick and tired of white people being like, oh, wow, this is just so surprising. This is just so appalling. Mm-hmm. She's like, what fucking planet do you live on to where this is still like news to you? And why yeah. do white people feel the need to address black people? Like, oh, wow, that's so shocking. Like that just sends a message of... I don't pay enough fucking attention to things that don't affect me that this still has some kind of shock value at this point. Or even the fact that they are so unnoticed of their privilege Mm -hmm. that this isn't everyone, you know, like, and like, I want to like really point out that my struggles are really personal to me and like were really hard for me, but I have it easy. I'm not a person of color in comparison to like queer folks who are people of color. They have all these other factors and then to have systematic prejudice in every single aspect of life. I just, it's just, I don't understand why people can't get on board and try to make a change for the positive. And like, you're right. Like going back to our hometown, things are changing and getting better, but how many years and trauma does it need to be if people just practice empathy more? Well, and that's my biggest, as somebody who became involved in a church about, it's been more than a year, about a year and a half ago, my biggest reservation about being a part of something like that was the fact that you have so many people that identify as Christian that are out here propping up things like blue lives matter 
or like, we don't like gay people or whatever, you know, it's just kind Mm -hmm. of like, how do you sit back and call yourself a person of God, but not feel like, feel angry about the injustices that are happening to people for no reason other than the fact that their skin is a different color. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, if Jesus doesn't make people like want to feel radicalized, then I don't know like what will. And I guess my biggest message pertaining to that for anybody that's listening that is Christian, like, I would just gently remind people to really reevaluate their own position on things and and really start thinking about you know loving your neighbor and truly loving your neighbor. And looking out for your community Mm -hmm. and looking out for people who are different than you and Mm -hmm. calling things out when things are wrong. Like I, I've been like taking hiatus from news just because Mm -hmm. the everything pandemic related, it's given me so much anxiety. But when I saw the pictures of everything that was going on and then showing that the people who were protesting lockdown had like, guns and were respected by police and not like attacked in any formal way and then you see people of color and allies protesting the murder that just happened Mm -hmm. and they're being hit with tear gas and they're being hit with rubber bullets and it's like you know several years back uh during the um the dakota pipeline fucking mess mess like they tear gassed Native American people for defending the land that belonged to them. Yeah, and their access to life and happiness and everything and else. And natural resources that were theirs yeah. to begin with. Yeah. And then what fucking happened when they put that pipe in? Didn't it end up leaking crude oil into their water source? I believe so. I yeah. believe that there was a leak and it was like, this is literally what we fucking told you was going to happen and you tear gassed us for protesting peacefully. See, that's the other shit that kind of gets me, not kind of, that gets me really angry is like this whole white people love to be like, well, if if they, meaning people of color, would just protest peacefully, then they'd be taken seriously. No. Yeah, and then they protest peacefully, take a knee during the national anthem, mm-hmm. and then people lose their fucking shit Mm -hmm. and -hmm. like i'm glad that there's like attention on it but for it's all for the wrong reasons it's people backlashing and saying like oh he's not american he needs to get the fuck out and other things like that and it's just like you guys are getting the wrong message if you guys just shut up for a second try to put yourself in their shoes Mm -hmm. like i think that's the biggest thing that i want to spread with other people other than calling out fucking bigots when we should is spreading empathy Right. Well, I mean, when you're white, it's okay to go and stand out in the middle of a global pandemic without a mask on, or even maybe with a mask slightly on, whatever. Rally up a couple hundred people at the state's capital and then have community spread of the coronavirus and the police just basically show up and they monitor you. But if you're a brown person or you're a black person, you're a native person, then you're automatically treated basically like a terrorist threat to this country. Yeah. And the people that can't sit back and see the inequity in those kinds of situations are just, they're really fucking lame. Yeah, they are. Like, (laughs) in all aspects, like, their brain is lame. Like, I just don't, it makes me feel like our education system from the get-go was fucked. And, like, I want to blame it completely on that, but 
it, some of it, or if not most of it, has to be willing ignorance. Right. It's willful ignorance. It truly is at this point. You know, I mean, we, all of us come from interesting places and some of us have shitty mm-hmm. childhoods. And, you know, I had a mother that hurt me a lot, but that doesn't give me an excuse to grow up and be a fucking asshole to everyone. Nope. You know, once you hit a certain age, you have to start taking responsibility for your own education and first of all, you shouldn't just be looking to people, looking to people of color to like perform emotional labor and educate you on every little thing. Yep. I see that a lot. Uh, like pick up a book and pick up a book that was written by a person of color because they spent a lot of time and energy and personal investment into developing resources for educating people that aren't aware. So, you know, pay them. Mm-hmm. for those materials and take the time and energy to read about these things yourself. Like we're not all going to get it right. I mean, in the first 24 hours or the first year of lear- unlearning toxic traits or behaviors, mm-hmm. but I mean like make the fucking effort and yeah. be willing to sit in your own discomfort because these people that experience these kinds of prejudices and like injustices have been uncomfortable from fucking birth. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much that no one's asking you to be perfect. Right. No one. They're wanting you to keep the conversation open for mm-hmm. you to fucking grow mm-hmm. and spread that growth amongst other people too. Like you and I and all our friends, like we've said some problematic things in the past. Absolutely. But we've grown from it. And like, we're ashamed of some of the stuff that we said, but we're actively trying to make ourselves better and the people around us better and make our community better and make our fucking representatives better. Like I want everyone who listens to this to call Kevin McCarthy (laughs) and hold him accountable for the fact that he is failing the people he represents, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think, I think that everyone should get more involved in the political process because especially if you're white and straight and cis, Mm-hmm. because you have this power that you have just by being you mm-hmm. that society has assigned to you that you need to be supporting your allies i mean these communities that need your support use your privilege you know right. and you have protections that a lot of other people out there don't have like you know the repercussions for somebody that is white coming out and, you know, giving their time or their money or their resources to support these communities and to support minorities. It's not, it's not like, you know, you, you're really putting yourself at risk by doing any of that. And even if you are putting a little part of yourself at risk, isn't it worth it to sacrifice a little bit to make the world a better place for everyone? I mean, I know that nothing is ever going to be perfect and, and I don't think that we're even really necessarily striving for perfection as a society, right? No. But I mean, it would just be nice to see people care about the inequities that others face a little bit fucking more. And like in a meaningful way too. Like mm-hmm. I read something today that talked about we are glad that you were showing your support through social media and that you're upset, but call your fucking representative. Right, right. Because regardless of what happens, you're representative has to listen to you as a constituent Mm -hmm. nothing is going to change unless you be loud and you make yourself notice and you vote you can't just sit at home and talk about making things better or changing 
And I know that when it comes to large, big general elections, you know, like we feel like we have less power, but it's funny because people will always, you always hear about people, they're like, yeah, like I'll vote in the primaries and I'll vote in the general, but they don't take any interest in their own local like government, which is something that needs to change. Like you have to, you have to start from the ground up if you want to affect things. And you should worry about the elected officials in your own community and how that is going to affect the people that live in your community if people vote a certain way or we put certain people in power. So, I mean, it it doesn't just... I mean, if you're voting in general elections and voting in primaries, that's a great start. But, I mean, continue to educate yourself and get involved how you can on a local level, especially if you're young and, and able and... Yeah, I mean, because let's be real, the the reason why things are going so bad or have been so bad, let's be real, is because the power has been concentrated amongst white, older, healthy, mm-hmm. uh, not healthy, excuse me, wealthy, because mm-hmm. uh, let's be real, Donald Trump isn't healthy, um, <laughs> men who have controlled and manipulated their way to create a society. And this goes off the a lot of history. Mm -hmm. Uh, to benefit them directly and ignore the people that they're supposed to represent. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't change unless you go at a local level and a lot of people feel helpless. Well, your impact and your vote in like, let's say a school board uh, election or mayor or even like county level, your state representative means a lot. Mm -hmm. So you can start there. um, Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, this whole thing is just, the failures we feel as an individual, especially when it comes to feeling like you don't belong, aren't normally your own. Mm-hmm. They're usually shared. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of this uh, experience and realization is that you need to look out for other people as much as you can, because mm-hmm. that's the only way that you make this place a better place for everyone else. Absolutely. And that's how you kind of, you know, I I feel like we talk a lot about at least like in circles where people discuss things like therapy or whatever, but um, Mm -hmm. like generational trauma and healing like generational trauma, um, doing things like feeding into your own community and making sure that people that you might not even know yet have better resources than you have. I mean, it kind of helps slowly like break up that cycle of you know, kids growing up and feeling, queer kids growing up and feeling like they have no one to connect to or whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it, and it's, it's funny because people think that doing stuff like this takes like a lot of time and investment and mm-hmm. it, it really doesn't take that much time or investment to nope. help others. And I, especially when a whole bunch of people do it, mm-hmm. it's a lot less time when other people mm-hmm. chip in too. Right. If we all pitched in a little bit more, then it would be easier for everyone. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, it's just interesting to me the way that generate generationally, the way that things are different. It's like, I think you had made the post earlier today on Instagram um, that you had shared about the AIDS pandemic when it first came out. There was no death toll posted. There was no, there was nothing from the New York, New York times morning, you know, all of the lives that had been lost. Yeah. And it was just something culturally that we didn't talk about because basically it was a gay disease. Yeah. And And, in a lot of parts of the world, it still is that way too. Right. Or at least has the stigma of it. And it just shows that 
you society as a whole prioritizes certain people. We always say that we're all created equal, but society mm-hmm. does not reflect that at all. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a perfect example. Like, um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like, it's interesting to me because anytime we have a pandemic and lives are lost, we should mourn, right? I right. mean, we should, we should grieve for, we should grieve for any loss of life, obviously. But I mean, when it's something that's affected us on a global scale, the way that the AIDS pandemic did and still mm-hmm. continues to do so, I mean, it's obviously still a problem we're facing. And, um, you know, instead of rallying around the communities that were largely affected by that, it was just something that was greatly stigmatized. Whereas with things like Corona, where there isn't really any way to prevent it other than social distancing and wearing a mask. Um, there's also, you know, lack of, of targeted people for, I guess, lack of better words, you know, it, it's this thing where it's like, Oh, rich white people can get it. Yeah. Uh, low income people can get it. Anybody can get it. It's not, you know, it's not just this one group of people that we're seeing, which wasn't the case, I guess, in the first place for the AIDS pandemic as well. I mean, mm-hmm. other people that were not gay also contracted HIV yeah. and then effectively got AIDS. But by and large, I mean, that's how, that's kind of what society, I guess, made it out to be. So it's just, it's funny the way that we care about stuff when it affects everyone, meaning white people. <laughs> <laughs> White people in power. White people in power versus, uh, you know, specific communities. And it's funny because I've heard a lot of talk about, you know, Corona being this great equalizer. And if you think that you can kind of go fuck yourself because (laughs) if anything, Corona has just exposed the cracks in America even more and the wealthier are even more wealthy and the poor are even more poor. And now our middle class, for the most part, is probably about to shrivel up and die. I mean, we were already on our death rattle, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, it's true. Like, like I said earlier, is that like pandemic has really made people who weren't paying attention, see all the issues that are there that don't affect them directly our social safety nets, our communities of color who are being disproportionately affected. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just shows that like, unless we are being active and calling out our representative representatives, we will leave these terrible people in power, you mm-hmm. know? Absolutely. I mean, there is, I guess, I don't know. There's not a whole lot that we can do other than, turn up and actually vote in a way that will measurably count, right? right? I mean, short of burning down the White House, which I'm not advocating for that, please don't arrest me. <laughs> FBI agent, if you're listening right now, I promise I'm not going to go burn down the White House. But I mean, there's really nothing more radical than like fucking, you know, using your your power to vote and to make actual change. Other right. than, of course, like calling and bugging the fuck out of your lawmakers and trying to get them to also not be willfully ignorant, and to which is also really effective too, because mm-hmm. you know sometimes you are a minority in the area that you live too, but you know the loudest wheel gets the oil, you know the squeaky wheel gets the grease, the grease. or whatever. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Right, right. And if we all just kind of roll over and are like, well so-and-so is never going to change their mind about this thing or that thing or whatever. 
then, I mean, what the fuck do we expect? I'm not saying that we deserve this. And also before I get too high on my horse about going out and voting, uh, it's a privilege to be able to even have access to voting. We've made it really difficult for low income people to be able to vote now that you need to have a driver's license and, you know, and the state of California, at least where I am at now has made a vote by mail, like an option for everyone. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. what we're all supposed to do in this next election. Anyway, but, you know, there are a lot of uh, barriers when it comes to getting people that are of lower socioeconomic status to be able to vote in the first place. So I mm-hmm. also think that those of us that are able to influence change and, um, you know, just have access to things like voting in election years where we're not, you know, fucked up by Corona, <laughs> like we yeah. need to think of those people and help them, you know, like... Mm-hmm organize it, it, organize voting carpooling and stuff like that for people that might not have access to a car in order to be able to mm-hmm. vote or go into communities and talk to people about, you know, getting registered to vote, help them fill out applications. Mm-hmm. I mean, all those, those are all kinds of things that we could be doing to help people that are minorities with lack of access to fucking take the power back. Like, yeah, we need those people. And we should care enough to like step in and be like, oh, hey, you haven't been granted the same access as me. So let's address this. Like, what can we do to help? Because your vote is really important and we want you to be able to live in a society that is better for you as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's the whole thing of using your privilege, mm-hmm. your access, your, mm-hmm. your, I don't want to say power, but for lack of a better term, your, uh, ability to have more of a swing or sway with Mm -hmm. your representatives to be shared and use and help other people you're trying to make your community better that's the whole reason why we have a democracy so that everyone has a voice when you have these institutions that have all these barriers set in so that black people's votes don't matter i mean like it's your job as an individual who isn't affected by those to be looking out for those community members who have a harder time getting mm-hmm. uh, power in their voice. Mm-hmm. It can't just stop with you. You know, you have to, mm-hmm. I guess I'm just encouraging people not to do the bare minimum, you know, like, yes, obviously if you have the access to vote and that's all you can contribute, then do that. But if you can do more and you can help others to do more then you know, explore that as well. Mm-hmm. We all have to get back to a place where we're a little bit, more okay with feeling uncomfortable so that other people can get a little bit more comfortable. (laughs) Yeah. But also at the same time, like it's not like we're living in the United States is not a country that lives in a place with like very limited resources either. So it's like, uh, rights and privileges are not like pie, you know, just because we give more pie to somebody else doesn't mean there's any less fucking pie for you. So, Yeah. yeah, But yeah, I mean, we've kind of gotten off on a bit of a tangent, but I, I feel like, say, like I feel like we created the solution of how to uh, essentially dismantle the GOP <laughs> and make the world a better place because fuck them. I mean, but if it weren't for the things that we had, you know, gone through and experienced just in our own youth or positions in life, then I feel like maybe we wouldn't be here having these kinds of conversations in the first place, you know? 
no, I, I think the challenges that we had really made us evaluate where we stand, mm-hmm. who we are, and where we are in our community and society. And I think that's the reason why um, we have, I don't want to say more empathy, but the fact that we've thought about it a little bit more. Right. You know? And I think back to all the times when, you know, I was in places where I need help, needed help and people helped me. And I feel like it's important that when we receive it, we should give it. <laughs> and even if you don't receive it, you should still give it, you know, because you never exactly. know. And I'm not talking about monetarily because obviously uh-huh. people have limited incomes. Things are so tight right now, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think caring and speaking about things like this go pretty far. So, you know, just use what little influence you have to try and make the world a better place. I know yeah. that sounds really well, idealistic, but I mean, that's all you can really do. And like, that's, I, I'm not super religious, but I think that you're put on this earth to try to make it a better place for everyone mm-hmm. else and everyone else that comes after you. And like, part of that is talking to your racist aunt, you know, mm-hmm. and being like, look, you can't say the coronavirus was made in a lab by George Soros because that is a neo-Nazi um, thing to say. You know, it's anti-Semitic. <laughs> True story. Oh, yikes. Yikes. <sighs> well, on that note, thank you for so much. Thank you for so much. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on here and being willing to like get a little tangential with me. I mean, this podcast has... A very loose formula, but I feel like we wouldn't really be doing the world any justice to just kind of like come on here and just strictly talk about ourselves. It's important to, yeah, you know, totally agree to be topical. And also, like, I just welcome anyone listening that has any feedback about anything that we've discussed. If there's any blind spots that I have, I know I have a lot of them as a person that just lives the way that I live in this world, you know, I would just really welcome any input and feedback and any of that can be looped into the show notes for the episode following this one. Um, but yeah, just thank you so much for coming on and doing this. I feel like it's been a good convo. Yeah. Thank you. I'm a really big fan. And, um, just to, uh, put that out there, uh, Kayla is incredibly resourceful and if you have any questions about how to help uh call your representative or do anything like that or how to donate to causes that stand up for people of color and their voice and queer people and other things like that feel free to shoot her a message and she'll be uh, happy to help and she has a community who will help her too and help you find those resources as well Absolutely. I mean, if I don't have the answers for things, which I don't a lot of the time, um, I am happy to reach out to the people that I do know that can point you in the right direction or get something going, get something moving for you, because that's what we got to do for each other, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Connor, for coming on the show today. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All righty. Alrighty. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning into another episode. Um, as Connor had mentioned at the end of this episode, if you do have questions about finding resources to help support, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement or, um, the LGBTQ plus community, feel free to go ahead and message me on Instagram. Um, like I had said earlier, I'm not always the best source of, 
knowing exactly where to point people, but I do know people that are well enough connected that can help get you in the right direction. And I'm super happy to help you engage in finding those types of resources. And as I kind of get a comprehensive list going, I will also uh, plan on sharing them directly to my Instagram page. And then hopefully we'll be able to get them up on the website as well. But thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode. I love you. And I hope that you guys have the best week that you can with everything going on. Um, Thank you for tuning in and listening. All right. I will hear from you guys soon. No, I won't. You'll hear from me soon. Anyway, I'll be back next week. I really fucking botched this ending, but we're just going to roll with it. Love you guys. Bye.